athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. Listen, we've got so much to get to today. We've got NBA. We want to talk some NFL draft. We want to kind of sum up the draft. Of course, on last week, the draft was still going on when the show came on. So we want to do that. You know, you you talk about the NBA. You talk about NBA playoffs. You look at Golden State and the Grizzlies. What an interesting this is. We are tied at one game apiece. Game three on Saturday in San Francisco. What a series this is. Does it matter that Dylan Brooks, how, or I, I shouldn't say that. How much of a factor is it that Dylan Brooks will has been suspended for one game because of the flagrant, not only the flagrant two foul he got in game two. I mean, it was, I, I think... I'm not, you know, what he did to Gary Payton. And now Gary Payton is going to miss some, or Gary, Gary Payton III, I should say more specifically, is going to miss some time. I, How much of a, of a, I mean, it's, of course, anytime someone gets injured in their part of your rotation, it is serious. But I also look at the weapons that Golden State has. And I, you know, Gary Payton III is, is definitely a good player, but it may it's not like if they lose them, they don't have a chance in the series. And listen, game one could have gone to Memphis. Yet for John Morant not being able to finish that layup, it was a tough shot. I hear everybody talk about how Clay Thompson played some good defense on that. Yeah, the defense wasn't bad, but at the end of the day, Morant missed that shot, and it's a shot he's made many, many times over his career. He just didn't get it done that day. Otherwise, we could be looking at a 2-0 series in favor of the Grizzlies, who have played phenomenally. I mean, they've really played well. I didn't know that or if the Grizzlies would play as well because I looked at Minnesota. We talked with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, on last week about this. I mean, I, I, I think the Timberwolves have a good team, right? But I mean, I'm not going to mistake the Timberwolves for one of the elite teams in the NBA, much like the Grizzlies played, especially down the stretch. The Grizzlies vaulted because of their play down the stretch, vaulted to that number two spot. That was a spot that Golden State had held for quite some time. Now we understand and know that Steph Curry was out for the last, what, uh, last quite a bit of the, the the last part of the regular season and ultimately he's come back and, 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 and really played well. But 
I mean, that's a series that uh, could go either way. Really, game three, obviously, is going to be pivotal. I look at uh, the other Saturday series between the Celtics and the Bucks. I mean, the way that the Bucks put it on the Celtics in game one, right? And I'm like, man, the Bucks look unbeatable because to me, everybody talked about how great the Celtics defense is. And the Celtics defense definitely is, is great. I mean, what the Celtics were able to do to Kevin Durant and the Nets, I mean, that was, that was special. But now you got to play the Celtics a little bit different or a lot different, actually, than you ultimately play the Bucks and specifically Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, I realize Chris Middleton's not there, but I just felt like when you look at Drew Holiday and how he's really stepped up this year, I ultimately look at Bobby Portis and the way he's played. Brooke Lopez is back. And again, I look at game one, I'm like, what a blowout. And I did not see the Celtics winning game two, but the Celtics are resilient. Jason Tatum, Brown, and and by the way, I think it must be noted, and it, it's very important to look at the fact that the Celtics won game two, not only handily, but without Marcus Smart, who is the heart and soul of that Celtics team. So we've got those matchups in the NBA that we can talk a little bit more about. We can we can talk about uh, the the matchups where you have the Suns that have the lead over the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, for the Mavericks to even have gotten to this point um, is a little bit surprising. But then again, maybe not being able to beat the Jazz ultimately. And then I look at Miami and Philly. You knew it was going to be an uphill battle for the 76ers without Joel Embiid. But isn't this why the 76ers, not not that, this is not why the 76ers went out and got Joel Embiid. But again, I said it when the 76ers and the Nets made the trade. I didn't think that James Harden would ever win an NBA championship because of the way he's forced himself out of situations. Now, you can look at that Brooklyn situation and, yeah, I mean, I, I I can, I still don't agree with what he did, but I can understand in part if, you know, Kyrie's not totally on board, you don't know what that looks like. But you're a compliment. If you're James Harden at this stage in your career and at, well, I should say in, in this stage in terms of the way that he's playing, he's a complimentary player. He's not a star you know, he's not a guy that's going to get you over the top. The 76ers have really needed James Harden in this series without Embiid, and Harden has not stepped up. You look at Maxie's, he's done well. Even Tobias Harris has kind of stepped up a little bit. But you need a James, you need James Harden from three, four years ago, and James Harden just isn't that guy. Thus, the 76ers in the predicament that the 76ers are in, and so, you know, we'll see ultimately what happens. But I like the way the Heat, I mean, you got to like the way the Heat is playing, right? Like, I mean, you know, Tyler Hero and, I mean, Butler and Bam. I mean, these guys are just getting it. And by the way, you look at Oladipo, who's really struggled with injuries the last couple of years. He's looked good in this series. So a lot to talk about with respect to the 
NBA today on the program. We can talk some NFL draft today on the program. How did your team ultimately do? I want to know how you thought your team ultimately did. We asked the question last week, but the draft wasn't over as of last week. And I want to know how you felt like your team ultimately did in the NFL draft. I mean, if I have to talk about the Washington football team, right? Like I think the Washington football team um, did a really, a, a really good job. I mean, I, I, I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, I probably was uh, a little bit surprised by the first round pick in terms of Dotson. I didn't really see that coming in, but you know, I, I know that every and the Saints picked up the the wide receiver and the, the Saints and the Washington football team traded picks. And uh, the Saints ultimately got the kid out of out of Ohio State, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, where a lot of f- folks thought that maybe the Washington Commanders would have ultimately picked him up. But they decided to go with Dotson out of Penn State. And I, I look at what I'm hearing about him. I didn't know much about him. And I, I don't know. It looks like, a, looks like it could be a decent pick. I also look at... The other picks, because remember, with the Washington Commanders trading back, they were ultimately able to get up into the second round and able to pick up, uh, you know, and get multiple picks. So I thought that uh, was a really good move and able to pick up some 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 depth. The Commanders definitely needed some depth on the offensive line. Was able to do that. <laughs> it seems like. You know, you look at the commanders and the commanders really have this thing about players from Alabama. They go out and get the Mathis kid, the defensive tackle from Alabama, because really the commanders needed some some depth on that offensive line because they lost a couple of guys on the offensive line. Then you go out and get another running back, Brian Robinson, also from Alabama in the third round. I thought that this was a good move. Uh, because now you you have, in essence, four running backs, but you have two full-time guys um, that can really uh, tote the rock. And, and a guy like Robinson gives Gibson a bit of a spell. I really think, and I've watched Gibson play, Antonio Gibson, and I really think he's one of the, he's going to have a breakout year. Not a, not He's had two good seasons, a rookie year two years ago, and then last year, uh, had a good season. I think he had a thousand yard season last year as well. But I think you're going to see this guy really have a breakout season. I just like the way that he runs the ball, the rate, the way that he moves. He's a converted wide receiver, and so I like uh, that pick as well. But I think the pick that most people are talking about is Sam Howell out of North Carolina. Now, and what I do like from what I'm hearing is, hey, you look at Howell. And you look at his 2021 season, had a better 2020 season, most would say, plus the numbers would bear that out. But like a lot of people have said, and I've heard that, listen, Howell didn't have the weapons. He didn't have the offensive line. And Carolina, as the Tar Heels football team, sort of trying to find its way, especially offensively, which is why you saw where Carolina was a top five pick to start the season, or top 10 at least to start the season, and, and did not end up that way. Actually didn't have a good season really uh, at all, especially compared to where a lot of people thought the season was going to be. Carson Wentz is your guy. Taylor Heineke is your backup. 
You let Howell develop and see what ultimately happens. And by the way, you're getting a quarterback of that stature in the fifth round. So I like what the commanders did. Your thoughts. What did your team do? I want to hear from you in terms of what you thought your team did. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Still to come here on Box to Row, we're going to catch up with Matt James. Matt James was the bachelor in season 25 of the program. The bachelor played his collegiate football at Wake Forest, also spent some time with the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints. He's got a new book out. He's from right here where we're located in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we're going to talk with Matt James. I also want to talk about Still the lack of HBCU players taken in the NFL draft. Just four players, four maybe more than zero, but it's still a lack of HBCU players being drafted. Plus, the MEAC issues a statement as the chancellors and the presidents committed to the MEAC. More of Box to Row with Donald Ware is on the way. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get the Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 Now back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. to come here on box to row matt james the bachelor from season 25 gonna join us on the program like i said he played at wake forest also spent some time with the panthers and the saints i want to get his thoughts on the draft with respect 
to the Panthers and the Saints. You can, of course, join us on the conversation. Hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Just four players taken in the National Football League draft after an embarrassingly low zero players were taken. You got to go all the way back to 1950. The first black player in the NFL was Paul Tank Younger, running back out of Grambling. And there and the first player that was drafted, Robert Stonewall Jackson out of ANT. Can't remember if that was 50 or 51. You never had zero players that were taken. Okay. And but Everything, a lot of what I've read is almost like a celebration that there were four players taken from HBCUs. And while four is more than zero, I mean, why are we celebrating? It feels like, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I feel like this is something that we should be happy about because four players were taken, right? I get it. No players taken last year, four taken this year. You can look at it as a sign of progress. You can look at it, excuse me, that way. But I don't look at it that way at all because, A, this should have, it should have never been this type of situation. Now, teams should pick who teams want to pick. The problem that I have, and I wrote a piece about this. As a matter of fact, you can read the piece on BoxToRow.com. In the title of the piece, Cheap Labor, Why the NFL Prefers to Sign HBCU Players as Free Agents. The problem that I have is that when you look at these rosters, if you look at the rosters from last year and you look at specifically opening day, the opening day roster, close to 40% of the HBCU players that were on opening rosters last year were free agent signees. So obviously, if you even you can play, they they know you can play. The National Football League just prefers not to draft HBCU players, and I'm going to tell you why. First, we got to say congratulations to Fayetteville State's cornerback Joshua Williams, who was the first HBCU player taken off the board. Not until the fourth round. I think he's better than a fourth round player, and I think he's going to show that. I mean. You can look at the history of the National Football League and low-round draft picks. Uh, You can look at players that weren't even drafted that went on, and and I'm talking specifically from HBCUs that went on to have Hall of Fame careers. I mean, you can look at a Willie Brown out of Grambling, played for for the Raiders, uh, was one of the great defensive backs to ever play the game, wasn't even drafted, went on. So we understand that that can happen. Right, but I think a guy like a Joshua Williams should have been a higher draft pick. I mean, I I can think back to a guy like an Antoine Bethay out of Howard, six round draft pick. He comes into camp, he's immediately the starting strong safety for the Colts. And as a matter of fact, throughout the course of his career, in all the games he played and went on in that year, that rookie year to help the Colts to win a Super Bowl, throughout the course of his career. He he didn't start eight games. He started all but eight games throughout the course of his outstanding career. I'm talking about Antoine Bethea. But, again, congratulations, Joshua Williams. Fourth round, 
135th pick overall by Kansas City. South Carolina State cornerback Kobe Durant, also fourth round, 142nd overall by the Rams. Jackson State linebacker James Houston, sixth round pick, 217th overall by the Lions. And Southern offensive lineman Jatiree Carter, seventh round pick, 226th overall by the Bears. So those players were selected. Meanwhile, as of Tuesday, and I hadn't even had a chance to count the number of HBCU players that have been that have signed either free agent deals or have had rookie invites to camp. There were 18 as of Tuesday. By the way, you look at a Quill Glass who wasn't drafted, wasn't invited to the NFL Combine either, but should have put on a a a, a good performance at the um at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. Uh, you look at also Marquise Bell, the safety out of Florida A&M, great size, had all the measurables, and still was not drafted, had to sign a free agent contract with the Cowboys. So that's a travesty in of itself that those two players weren't drafted. And now you have, again, as of Tuesday, 18 players. And I think of those 18 15 or 16 of those players were actual undrafted free agent signees opposed to being invited to a camp. And so you may ask the question, right? Well, don't you control more of your own destiny when you're when you sign as an undrafted free agent as opposed to being a late round pick? And when I say late round pick, I mean more like a more like a a sixth or seventh round pick. Well, I mean, that's true. There's a, there is truth to that. No question about it, right? You control more of your own destiny. In other words, if a team picks you, you're, you know, you don't have much, you don't have any, many options unless that team cuts you. And then you can go to another team. That team, you know, controls your rights. You, you know, maybe you go to a team. I mean, I'll give you a, a, a situation like a Mac McCain, who signed as a, a free agent last year with the Broncos. I think one of the reasons he signed with the Broncos because they gave him more money uh, to sign, but that was a crowded backfield. I mean, you look at the Broncos, and that's not to say that he couldn't make that team, but for an undrafted guy to try to make a team like that with that type of defensive backfield is an uphill battle. Now, ultimately, he was able to sign on um, with – the Saints, I'm not sure where he is right now. He may still be with the Saints. Didn't check on that. But, I mean, that was a crowded backfield, but they gave him a little bit more money. But think if he had gotten drafted in that situation, right? It's more guaranteed money when a team drafts you. Let me give you an example, right? The lowest player selected in the draft will receive just over $77,000, okay? As a signing bonus, $77,000 as a signing bonus. The lowest person drafted. In other words, Mr. Irrelevant. And I think that $77,000 is in a range of maybe the last five players that are drafted in the NFL draft. Okay. Now, that's $77,000. Now, compare that with a Joshua Williams, for example, 
his signing bonus is going to be somewhere between $666,000 and $800,000. So the high, obviously the higher you get drafted, the more money that you're going to make. But let's compare that to, and let's not even talk about Joshua Williams' situation, right? Hired round draft pick, more guaranteed money in terms of the signing bonus, okay? But let's look at a guy, let's just take the guy that maybe Mr. Irrelevant, right? It's going to get $77,000 in bonuses. But if you sign as an undrafted free agent, first of all, teams are able to spend no more, uh, are able to give no more than 100 can give more, excuse me, let me get this right, can give more than $160,000 but less than $200,000 to sign all of its free agents. So if you're talking about 10 undrafted free agents signing, that's an average of each of those players making between sixteen dollars and $20,000. Again, that's on average because some of those players are going to make more. Some of those players are going to make less than the $16,000. So you see the discrepancy there between a guy that gets drafted, even if he's the last draft choice, that's that's $77,000 compared to a guy who doesn't get drafted. Depends on how many guys that sign, but based upon that scenario, on the average, if there are 10 players and the the range is between $160,000 and $200,000, that's an average of sixteen thousand dollars to uh, between sixteen thousand and twenty thousand dollars. It is a huge discrepancy, and again, I'm going to go back to the point that forty percent of players in the National Football League, forty percent of players in the National Football League that played at HBCUs were signed as undrafted free agents. Yes, you have Javon Hargrave. Yes, you have Darius Leonard. Yes, you have Teron Armstead. Yes, you have Tariq Cohen. And the list goes on and on. But you also have those players, 40% of them, that were undrafted or signed as undrafted free agents that were on opening day rosters to start the 2021 season. And again, you can read the piece that I wrote about cheap labor on our website, boxtorow.com. I invite you to check that out and tweet at me uh, your thoughts. Matt James, The Bachelor, joins us next you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for black women. 
And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest stage of them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in FAM just because I wanted to major in business. And FAM, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me, play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown in Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a... You know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was playing for Coach Day. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that, and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one, is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box 
to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. Let's continue here on the program. We're joined by a gentleman. As a matter of fact, he was the bachelor in season 25, the first black lead on the bachelor. He's got a new book out called first impressions. We're going to talk more with him about that he is from right here in raleigh sanderson high school's own matt james joins us here on box to row matt welcome to the program thank you for having me it's always nice to be back on a hometown radio station yes sir we are we are here in raleigh and broadcasting all over um let let me start here uh because you're doing so many things right now a lot of really cool things as a matter of fact um but speak to your time on The Bachelor, but really how that even came about. Yeah, so, you know, that's something that I never would have imagined I would be pursuing. You know, I, uh, I finally had gotten my dream job working at a commercial real estate firm in New York City. I would gotten an apartment that I loved. I was in a city that I loved, New York. And, um, you know, my roommate at the time, Tyler Cameron, had gone on The Bachelorette. And he came back refined and almost proposing to the woman that was the lead. And when I saw that his, the way that his experience had molded his life and the way that he thought about his future and uh, relationship from the man that he was before he left, I was like, maybe this is something that I should pursue. And, you know, that was my entry into, into the bachelor world. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. What did it mean? Because i got to be honest, like I, I, you, you watch these shows and I know we had and I can't remember her name, but a young lady that was uh, was black that was a bachelorette. But I look at you look at a lot of these shows and there's rarely any representation of black folks, yet alone a lead. So what did that mean to you to, in fact, be the first black lead on The Bachelor? Um, man, it was it was monumental, like especially with where with where we were as a country um, being asked. To, to, to step into that role, you know, first it's shocking because, you know, it, 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 it's wild that we're still having those type of firsts as a country uh, in 2021. But, um, yeah, no, that was, that was, it was shocking that there hadn't been a black male lead yet. Um, but I was honored to step into that role and be, to represent myself, my family, and, and black men in the way that, you know, I thought, and, uh, you know, I did the best that I could in doing so, knowing that I was going to be the first black person that a lot of these viewers had in their homes for the first time for an extended amount of time. Yeah, how was how was it being on The Bachelor? I read where, you know, sometimes there were things that you wanted said that would be left on the cutting board or the cutting table, uh, if you will, in terms of things not being shown, but... How was all that? Were you were you satisfied with the way uh, that you and the, the Bachelor were presented with you as the lead in season 25? Um, you know, I think, you know, there's always room for improvement. There's things that, you know, I wish that would have been done differently here and there. But, um, you know, the only things that I can control are, are my actions, my words, and the way I go about things. And I think that people saw on the first night when I prayed for the women that 
you know, I was, I was set on honoring God throughout that process. And if, if that was my focus and my goal, that anybody else who was offended in the process, you know, that was a personal problem because um, my goal was to set out and, and, and be a man of God. And that's what I tried to do. And, uh, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy and please everybody. So um, that's just something you got to live with and know that that comes with the territory. The book is First Impressions. It is by Matt James, who was The Bachelor on season 25 of The Bachelors. He joins us here on the program. So what do you remember most about the days growing up here in Raleigh and attending Sanderson High School? You were a pretty good athlete there also. You know, I, I, was, I was all right. You know, there was a uh, – I, I love – I still love sports. And, you know, that – time in my life for, as an athlete was, was so much fun because it's your hometown and all your family can go to all your basketball games, your football games, your track meets. Like I'm doing everything possible and I'm going to my favorite spot. I'm going to Char Grill. I'm going to Cookout, Bojangles. Like it's just a special time growing up playing in your hometown where it's like still amateur and, you know, there's not these crazy expectations yet. And it was wholesome, and I, I just loved and enjoyed it. Man, are you a Smithfield's chicken and barbecue guy? Like, I didn't hear you mention Smithfield's. I love all the other places you mentioned, but you didn't mention Smithfield's. So, you know, it's funny. I actually went out. To, I would go out. I would only go out to Smithfield on a handful of occasions. I would go out to Smithfield <laughs> when we would have these. And when we went out to Smithfield, our bus would stop at Smithfield on the way back because they know if they stop before there, our performance would suffer. So after we would leave the Jamboree, we would load up on barbecue. We would get sweet tea. We'd get the hush puppies, the whole nine yards. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is Matt James. He was The Bachelor on season 25 of The Bachelor. Joins us here on the program. So the book, First Impressions, it's available now wherever you get your books. What what can we find? What What is the book about? What can we find in your book, First Impressions? Your first book, by the way. I think that there's something that anyone, everyone can relate to, you know, uh, deal, how to deal with, you know, uh, a frustrating workplace or a boss that you don't get along with, uh, how to deal with change, moving across the country, uh, how to deal with the rejection, not getting the job you wanted and graduating college and having to move back in with your parents, uh, how to deal with, uh, you know, a racially charged climate, how to deal with um, life. There's so many different antidotes that, People all across the world reached out to me about as my story was broadcast on The Bachelor that, you know, that, that gave them strength in their in their situation. And I'm like, you know what, if, if they're pulling strength from the story, I think I need to share more. And, you know, that's what what I did. And that's what I'm excited to. Um, that's why I'm excited for people to get this book in their hands. Definitely check the book out. A couple of more thoughts with Matt James here on the program. So you you chose Rachel uh, Kirkconnell. Are you guys on The Bachelor? Are you guys still together? And how have you? I know she's kind of come out and addressed some of the racial insensitive actions that she's had in the past. How have you been able to also deal with that? Uh, you know, I've dealt with those the same way that I deal with most things. You know, being prayerful about those things and and taking my time and evaluating things. Um, after I left the show. Um, you know, we, we, we took a step back from our relationship because I had to evaluate if, you know, I had fallen in love with someone based off of this experience and not based off my own merit. 
and you know ultimately we were drawn back together because the woman that I I had fallen in love with was the woman who I thought she was just a, a great all around woman and I've spent so much time with her family and um, getting to know them and her friends and um, living our lives outside of the bachelor has been the best thing for us because we we don't have the expectation of of perfection because we're not perfect and um, we we go about doing our relationship our own way and uh, it's working for us. And then your nonprofit ABC Food Tours, how's that coming along? It's going well. You know, we're we're venturing off into. Uh, crypto financial literacy and NFT spaces so that our students are onboarded to these very, very broad categories that are, you know, going to be at the face of the job market when, you know, they're graduating. You know, we're, we're moving towards a more digital landscape. And so there's not a standardized place for our students to get this education. And since we know better, you know, we have to provide the resources for these students in low-income areas that you know we have historically provided fitness and food education around and now you know as we venture into financial literacy this is our our key focus and then last thought i know you played at wake forest uh you had some time with the panthers and the hometown panthers that is in the saints uh any thoughts on the the panthers and the saints how they did in the draft uh well, yeah, so I was actually down in Atlanta uh, this past weekend at a, at a celebrity football game, and I had the chance to, to catch some balls from Jameis. So he's healing up well, and I'm very excited about seeing him get back out there and be a leader for that organization now that, you know, that Drew's out, out of town. Um, and then for the Panthers, um, I'm hoping that we can keep McCaffrey healthy. You know, there's a lot of pieces there. There's a lot of pieces there. you got a great receiver. you have a great running back. You got a great steal in Matt Corral late in the draft. Um, there's a lot of positives. You know, Matt Roll, uh, he, he's just got his feet wet, and he's going to get rolling. People got to be patient. I know that it's hard to be patient when you've got franchises like the Rams turning things around seemingly overnight, but um, I think that this could be a big year for the Panthers and the Saints. I know they're in the same division, so uh, it'll be interesting how that shakes out. Matt James, of course, the first black lead on The Bachelor in season 25. His book, First Impressions, is available now as he joins us here on Box to Row. Matt, appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Matt James, the first black bachelor, of course, season 25 of The Bachelor, joining us on the program. And just looking forward to that conversation. Enjoyed the conversation a lot. I... I you know, it, I, it, it, to me, I felt like it was a big deal when he became The Bachelor. You watch these shows, and there's rarely any representation, particularly shows like that, with black men. There just aren't. He was the first. Look how long it took for him to. And even when you have these kind of shows, you know, the representation with respect to, to black men, even black women, a lot of times is just is poultry. Right. And so for him to be the first and I, I enjoyed the conversation because I never I, like I never really watch. I, I'm OK with some reality television. Right. Like I'm OK with some of it. I mean, I love sports, obviously. Uh, I love documentaries. Um, if the right movie comes on, I'll watch it over and over and over again. Uh, for instance, uh, 
what what movie was on the other day? Uh, it was a Denzel Denzel Washington movie. It wasn't out of time. It was something uh, something else when he was uh, you know he was a former CIA agent and he was staying in Mexico and saved the little girl. I I can't think of it. Came out like two thousand four. Right movie. Come on, I'm gonna watch it every time. Right, but shows like that, nah, not really. And so to be able to talk with him, um, you know, he's from right here in Raleigh. Um, seems really grounded. He's got a nonprofit. He's a businessman. He's got a lot that he's doing in the community, especially with the children. You heard him speak about that. I mean, that's really good stuff. And I really enjoyed that conversation, even with his life after football. Ultimately didn't work out for him with respect to the Panthers or the Saints. And, and I really liked his take uh, in terms of what both of those teams did in the draft. So uh, big kudos uh, to Matt Kemp for joining us today here on the program. If you want to react to anything that I said, Matt Kemp, excuse me, Matt James, anything that Matt James had to say, anything Matt James had to say, hit us up via Twitter at BotchToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Still to come here on the program, the chancellors of the respective schools in the MEAC are united. And I'll tell you what I mean next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries, so there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars, and it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. That's 802-317-1987. It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. So the MEAC sent out another release, and this has got to be the third, perhaps fourth release, maybe in the last mm, almost eh, almost two years now, I guess, or so, that uh, the MEAC has sent out a release 
that in essence states and it has quotes from the chancellors and presidents of the respective of well, some of the chancellors and presidents of the respective universities that the MEAC is aligned in its values. It's going to continue to move forward and that no schools of what the MEAC or what the release called the elite eight, which is, which is cool. I mean, that's, that's cool. Um, are not going anywhere uh, in terms of leaving conferences. Now there's been a couple of things that have happened or reported on uh, that have happened. And one of the things I, I you know, so it, it was Howard was supposedly going to the CAA, much like uh, what A&T did here more recently. And I mean, I, I'm and when people ask me this question about Howard and then, you know, state as fact that, yeah, Howard is leaving to go to the CAA for me. You have to look at the history. I think you just have to look at the history of, of, of things sometime, but also the president is present as well. Number one, or not not number one, but one of the things is that uh, President Frederick at Howard is actually the he's the chair of the chancellors. I think he's still the chair of the chancellors and the presidents of the MEAC. Okay, and so uh, and he's the president of Howard, and if he continues to in each each one of these type of united we're united it's us against the world type of releases that has come out and one came out um, very shortly after bethune cookman in florida a&m left i mean i mean that's just not that's one thing right now that's not to say that maybe there weren't some discussions between howard and the caa president frederick is retiring in 2024 but i mean i you know i just don't think when these releases come out and He's in the, he, the man, a man of that stature in the position he's in um, is th- that that Howard is going to make that move. But then in the same breath, just months earlier, say we're united. Right. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Doesn't mean there weren't discussions. The other thing, the, another thing is this with respect to Howard. I mean, Howard, to me is not as serious about athletics as it is about its other programs. Now, all schools are like that, and all schools should think like that. It's just that some schools are are much more serious. I just don't think Howard's that serious about athletics to make a move to the CAA. Now, with that being said, I think some of the principles of Howard from an academic standpoint, purely academics, has nothing to do with black and white, just purely academics may align more with schools in the CAA, again, to include Hampton and North Carolina A&T. But I think there would be, and, and maybe there were some discussions, right, between the CAA and Howard. I think there would be backlash that would be so severe from alumni of Howard if Howard moved to the CAA. Howard has such a legacy and uh, such pride about Howard University for Howard to move to a predominantly white conference. I don't think that's going to fly. I mean, if I had to say, I just don't think that's going to fly. Now, there may be some 
that think that would be a good move. Obviously, you you know, and then, I mean, again, this it, whenever you talk about these kind of moves, generally speaking, at this level, now, when you look at the SEC, I mean, you look at a Texas and an Oklahoma moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, that's about athletics, that's about money, right? But on the smaller scale, especially in the FCS scale, right, that's more about, you know, A&T's move is, it was about, you know, was an acad- was acad- academic uh, more than it was from an athletic standpoint. I get it, the student-athlete welfare, they save money and all that. But now, you know, A&T is the largest HBCU. Now, now when you move to, you know, you move out of the MEAC, you move first to the Big South and now to the CAA, which is, which is, which is very, very good athletically, especially in football, at least reputation-wise. I know some teams have left. Now you're talking about being able to recruit from a more broad pool for people to come to your univert to your university and not necessarily black students that come to the university. I mean, that's that's good business, right? Like you can be an HBCU and still be a traditional, uh, if you will, HBCU. HBCU, of course, stands for historically black college and university, right? So you can still be that and and have. A, a good amount of students that are not black. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change the history of why these schools were even started. So I'm, I'm, that's that's fine. And I think for Howard, if Howard were to make them, but 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 I should say, if Howard were to make a move like that, and you think about the history of Howard and all the great people. It's not to say great people haven't come from other universities not to say greatness hasn't come from ant or greatness hasn't come from hampton but if you're a howard and you make that move and i'd like to hear from some howard alums about this hit me up this is just my theory right like i i haven't really talked to a lot of howard alums about it per se this is just my theory from how i've seen howard operate and move over the years, I mean, remember, they had the book voucher scandal going back to, what was that, 2012, maybe 2010, something like that. The university shut athletics down because of that, because Howard trying to protect its brand overall, that Howard brand is an international brand, and it's, they don't, they're, you know, athletics is cool, but it's not more important not that any it is at any other school but it's much less important than some of you know the 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 programs and the disciplines that Howard has so they shut athletics down in other words when you shut athletics down you're you in essence what Howard did was separate itself as a university from its athletic program i look at those kind of things you look at you know, the academic rigors and, 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 and of, of what it takes to get into a Howard University. Why the football program hasn't been good for many, many years. Well, it hasn't been because it's hard. It's like it's like Duke football. It's like if I, if I was to make a comparison, I would compare Howard to Duke. Duke's academic rigors and to be able to get into a Duke to play football, man, it's high. It, it, is, off, it, it is hard to get into Duke. It's hard to get into Howard. So to me, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even make sense for Howard to 
uh, go to the CAA for the reasons that I mentioned. Okay, and so like I tell many people who ask me about it, and when the rumors come out and whatever, I will believe it when Howard University <laughs> releases a a press release that says the university <laughs> has moved to the CAA or whatever other conference it is. I think, you know, is the MIAC holding on? And that's just Howard. So that, you know, that's just one aspect of Howard because a lot of talk had been about Howard joining the CAA. And again, maybe this is why that was released because ultimately it didn't happen. So now you can come back as a conference and say, hey, we're united. But it doesn't mean that Howard and the CAA didn't have conversations. So, it, you know, it's it's just interesting because this is the thing, like the Howard, the uh, excuse me, the MEAC is financially solvent. And, I, and I've read the reports. I've seen, I haven't read them, but I've seen briefly the reports about Delaware State and Morgan trying to make a similar move. I mean, to me, if I looked at the MEAC, the only school that I think that could really, that has the money to make that kind of move is Morgan State. You know, I don't think any other school really has that kind of money and the money that it would take. And even if you look at a Morgan State, I mean, you know, you look at a, the football program is, you know, just it it, it has it, it was one once upon a time when you look at Morgan and you talk about great HBCU programs of all time. I think we we talk about Grambling because of what Eddie Robinson did because of all the players that went on to the National Football League, all of the Hall of Famers, the Pro Football Hall of Famers, all of the great players. But back in the day, Morgan was that school, too. OK, we, we forget that because you look at the last 40 years more or a little bit more than 40 years. It just hasn't been well for Morgan from a, from an athletic standpoint, more specifically football uh, and, and, and to a lesser degree basketball. Although you've had some years where Morgan was was OK here and there, especially under Todd Bozeman. So I I, I don't think the MIAC is going anywhere anytime soon. I think the conference is financially solvent, I th and, and that's always good. Uh, you can look at all of, you know, all of the talk and Bethune leaving the conference, Florida A&M leaving the conference, A&T leaving the conference. But that win by South Carolina State against Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl was huge. By the way, you still have six football-playing institutions. The, the MEAC doesn't even have an automatic bid to the uh, to the FCS playoffs anyway because it chooses to play in the Celebration Bowl. And, of course, the MEAC still has its automatic berth to the Division I men's basketball tournament. So I, I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I guess for me, I, I, you know, if the MEAC feels like it has to put out a release and it has to kind of quell some of the rumors or some of the talk and all of that kind of stuff, which the MEAC has kind of done anyway, then I can understand that. But, you know, as of right now, I just don't see uh, any any teams or any schools leaving the MEAC. Before I get out of here, big shots out to South Carolina State University. It's athletics department. I was in Orangeburg a couple of weeks ago, presented the Box to Row HBCU National Championship trophy to Buddy Pugh and the South Carolina State football team. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, SESU. Uh, for 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 welcoming me. I always appreciate being in Orangeburg. It's a great place to be. I want to publicly say uh, thank you to South Carolina State.
My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Matt James for joining us today on the program. For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And a big happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers that are listening. And always remember to support those that support your Box to Row is produced by DW Communications. When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. Go back at the